Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, Smile Brilliant is a sponsor of this episode, and you can use the word BITS, B-I-T-S, at checkout to get 30% off your order. Do you grind your teeth at night? Well, you're among a group of 40 million people who do. If you do, you probably know it's not all that good for them. You also probably don't want to pay two to 300 bucks for a night guard from the dentist and then grind through several of those guards per year. Smile Brilliant has the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as 45 bucks. How do they do it? Smile Brilliant has their own lab, and you can buy direct and not pay all those extra dental fees. You can also get custom-fitted teeth whitening trays and the Carry Pro Electric Toothbrush from Smile Brilliant. Head over to Smile Brilliant, and when you check out, use the code BITS, B-I-T-S, to get 30% off your purchase. That's right. Go to SmileBrilliant.com and enter the code BITS, B-I-T-S, when you check out for 30% off your purchase. Now, that's a good deal. My guest today started the Comedy Channel, which became Comedy Central. His vision launched comedians like Bill Maher and shows like Mystery Science Theater 3000. His book, Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor, chronicles over eight years of getting Comedy Central to be a household name. Folks, we've got Art Bell here tonight, or today. How's it going, Art? Good. Good. Scott, how are you? Good. Before we go any further, I want to make sure everybody knows what your book looks like so that they can find it much in the way they found uh, you found your uh, comedy book that you wrote with the two guys with uh, the websites. So uh, this is what it looks like if you go buy a book. This is what it looks like if you read it like I do. I I love my Kindle, and I uh, I always do Kindle books. But uh, I got to tell you, I, I read the book, and as I told you before we got started, I, you kept me up late a couple nights because I wanted to find out if anybody in HBO, Comedy Central, MTV, if there was ever a time you didn't get treated like shit. And guess what? <laughs> There was never a time you didn't get treated like shit. <laughs> and the fact that you... Sure, st- I'm not sure that's the impression I wanted to leave, but... Uh, yeah, I mean... What, what else you say? Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the fact that you... I mean, obviously, if you read the book, you know that art is... You know, you're trained in numbers and accounting and, and that type of stuff. And you worked for uh, the government for a while and did that but when you went to hbo you were kind of in accounting again but you had this idea the the comedy central idea can you kind of take me through how that came to you and also how it was received the first few times you pitched it yeah sure um 
Well, I mean, the whole story starts when I was a kid, and I just loved comedy. I mean, I'm talking six or seven years old. I'm watching the Ed Sullivan show, which yeah. is a you know variety show. I'm watching the comics. I thought anybody who could make people laugh was you know some kind of a genius, mm-hmm. and and I admired the power. And so I kind of became a comedy nerd, even at that age, and it lasted right through college. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in high school, I was writing, uh, writing some comedy, didn't do much performing in high school, but in college, I did a little sketch work, you know, uh, and also did some writing. And um, then, as you point out, I went to Washington. I just mm-hmm. said, all right, and this whole comedy thing, that's not going to be a career. So I went to Washington mm-hmm. as an economist, actually, mm-hmm. working for a consulting firm. And at the end of three years, I said, man, I can't do this forever. Not that I wasn't having fun. And I want to make that very clear. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But I went back to business school. Now, business school was kind of a turning point for me in the old comedy story. And you're not going to believe why. I I got involved with what was called the Wharton Follies. And that was the musical comedy review that the guys at my business school at Wharton put on. Uh And... As soon as I went down to check this out, you know, I realized that the people there were really talented. I mean, you know, they weren't, they were business school students, but these were people who came from, you know, from Broadway and from, you know, professional choreographers and, and actors and comics and stuff. And mm-hmm. they were trying to get into inve- investment banking and yeah. consulting and stuff. And I was trying to get into what they were doing. Right. Anyway, so we put on a show. Now, the second year we put on the show, I wrote the show uh-huh. and performed in it as well. And it was very funny. And it reminded me how much I love comedy and how much I love to write comedy. So naturally, when I graduated, I wanted to work in the television business and uh, started looking around for the comedy network. And there wasn't one. Yeah. And I was <laughs> I was I was as surprised as anybody. Yeah. I mean, I really just kept saying, how come, why wouldn't you know, I mean, we're getting all these networks, cable channels being developed and launched. You know, there's an all news channels and all music channels and all sports channel. Uh-huh. ESPN just started. Why is there no comedy network? I mean, I, I just don't get it. So I went to work for CBS, and that was man, that was tough. That was um, that was like you know, it's this big monolithic corporation. You couldn't even if you went in there and spent five days at my desk, you'd have no idea that television was involved yeah. with this business <laughs> at all. You know what I mean? I was just nowhere near what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that, that wasn't working out for me. But a friend of mine went to HBO. Now, this is the mid-80s. And HBO was like the coolest place in television to work. It, mm. it was kind of like Netflix is now because it was, it was so forward-thinking. I mean, it was putting movies on and doing original stuff and original comedy. And a friend of mine went over there. He says, you can't believe this place. It's so much fun. Uh-huh. And they are looking for somebody to do subscriber forecasting. Uh-huh. And the only person I could think of in the business who does forecasting and modeling, you know, forecast mm-hmm. models is you. So I went over, got the job, and there I was at HBO. That's that's wild. And it's funny, it, you talk about forecast modeling. I, I always think of that in a, a meteorological sense because <laughs> that's what my son studied. And he's um, when he, he's down in Alabama now, but when we, we're in Indiana and when we're talking about weather, we always call him and say, um, what's going on? He says, well, the models say that you're probably not going to get a tornado, so don't worry about it. But he was out storm chasing yesterday, as a matter of fact. But, uh, that's so cool. That yeah. is so cool. 
Yeah, and and he's definitely a numbers guy. I mean, he 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 crunches numbers. He had to take all the math and and that stuff. But I mean, he does it for NASA now instead of uh, a Weather Channel or something. But he's doing what he Ooh. wants to. But the the. Okay, so we started talking about how I ended up pitching this. Yeah. I just want to make it clear, too, that despite the fact that I was a numbers guy, I had this extreme interest in television and writing and stuff like that. Mm. So, you know, I I always like to think of myself as kind of a a combo um, to a certain extent. Anyway, I throw that in (laughs) for nothing. Um, Anyway, so... I'm at HBO and I start, you know, chatting about pe- about it with people a little bit. Hey, what do you think of Comedy Network? And I mean, nobody's like, yeah, it sounds cool, but nobody's really that interested. And as it turns out, the project I was working on kind of died, so mm-hmm. I had nothing to do. And I decided, all right, well, you know, I'm still junior in this organization, but I am going to walk in if I can get an appointment with the head of HBO programming. And, uh, and tell her about my idea. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I made an appointment with Bridget, Bridget Potter. She was the head of HBO programming. And, you know, for me, HBO was, you know, it was such a successful place. You consider the head of programming was considered like some kind of a magician. You know, like how do they know yeah. which programming is going to work? Well, they're geniuses, you know. Yeah. So that's how I went in. I didn't know anything more than that. <laughs> and I said, uh, Bridget, I think... I've been thinking about this, and I really think HBO should launch an all-comedy channel. And she said, stop right there. She said, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. And let me tell you why. She said, first of all, there's a lot of comedy on television anyway. Second Mm -hmm. of all, who wants to watch 24 hours of comedy? (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite. And the third one, she says, and by the way, no no decent comedian is going to want to be on that channel. Uh-huh. You know, is, she said, and she quoted, she said, is Whoopi going to be on? No. Is, you know, is Billy Crystal going to be on? Is Robin Williams? No, these people are not going to be on. Uh-huh. So thank you very much. You obviously don't know much about television, but thanks for coming in. And I left, you know, yeah. I walked out and I have to say, I felt pretty bad about it for a little while, uh-huh. but I ultimately, meaning like 10 minutes later, said, she's wrong. She is just wrong. Yeah. There will be a comedy network in this world. And Maybe it'll be me starting it. Maybe it'll be somebody else, but it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And the, it's, it's funny that you got that because it seemed like such a no brainer. There was 24 hour everything, you know, cause ESPN was on, uh, the, the, the news channels were on. That's when I think headline news was, uh, was yeah. before comedy central and yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, I, I mean, if people are going to watch the, the same news story over and over for 24 hours, they would definitely watch different comedy. But uh, I, you would think so. Yeah, but I know you had to bounce this around a little bit, and you had to um, step back and then come back into it. How did you ultimately get this pitched and get it going? Well, it was um, like this. I was I went back to my office, and for the next few weeks, I worked on a plan because you know, a financial plan, a programming plan. I, I really had an idea of how this channel would work and mm-hmm. how, to, how to launch it, who would be on it, what would be on it. And I wrote that all up. And the reason I wrote it up is because, as I said, my project was dead. I figured any minute they're going to fire me, which they didn't, but any anyway. And I was going to staple this plan to my resume and send it to, like, MTV and, uh-huh. you know, some other places who might be a little more receptive to the idea. Yeah. Uh, 
as I was writing it up, my boss's boss walks by and he says, what are you doing? You're supposed to have nothing to do. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm actually, I'm actually working on a plan for this idea I had for a comedy network. And he says, let me see. And he, he pages through the thing and he says, you know, I think Michael Fuchs, the chairman of HBO, should see this right now. Uh -huh. I said, fine, right now? And he said, yeah, let's go. We're going to go to his office. And he walked me down to his office. Now, I did not have a presentation prepared. I did not have any idea what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. uh, it was totally spontaneous. Yeah. And, um, and I just have to tell you one other thing. Michael Fuchs was, had recently been named the most powerful man in, in Hollywood yeah. by the New York Times. Uh -huh. So just let me say that if he and I were in the same elevator at the same time, I would break into a sweat. I mean, yeah. this guy, he could... He could kill your career with a wink. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so we're in Michael's office, and I think what got me through the 15 or 20 minutes of pitching my little heart out was that I had thought about it for years by this point. Yeah. I was very passionate about comedy, and I also kind of staked out my vision. I said things like, you know, Michael, in 10 years, if this thing is successful – it's going to be the center of the world of comedy. It's mm -hmm. going to be the center of the comedy universe. Everybody's going to want to be on it, you know? I, and I think that, you know, really helped push it over. And one other thing I said, if we don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. You really yeah. want to seed the comedy universe, you know, the comedy audience to some other knucklehead. Yeah. Yeah. So those two things I think really kind of got Michael to say, you know, yeah, Let's uh, let's do a little exploration here. I want you to go and make a demo tape, and uh, do some research, put some more financials together, and you know, then make a presentation. We'll make a decision, and mm -hmm. that's what happened. That's what happened. So I was teamed up at that moment with the head of HBO comedy programming. His name was Stu Smiley. Any you have you come across Stu in your life? Uh, I haven't, but his legend lives on. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so I meet Stu, and the first thing Stu says to me is, what do you know about comedy? And he didn't say it nicely, like, yeah. hey, you know, <laughs> we're here to work on this together. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I realized that I was going to, if I was going to do this at all, I was going to have to learn about the business of comedy. Stu had 10 years in it. The guy was an expert. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't stupid enough to think that I, you know, knew everything that he did about it. Uh -huh. Anyway, we worked together. We did a tape. We put together a presentation. I put together the presentation. Stu wasn't into the presentation thing. Uh -huh. And I gave the presentation to about 30 executives, HBO executives, like, a, you know, a couple months later, mm -hmm. showed the tape, said something along the lines of, you know, this can make a lot of money if it's done right. Yeah. <laughs> Which everybody <laughs> thought, that sounds good. And um, Michael immediately said at the end of the meeting, he said, Thanks very much. You know, everybody's still sitting there. He says, I think it's great. And I want it launched in six months. Wow. And that was, that was basically it. You know, it's and so said, funny. Yeah. It's so funny, this book uh, and, and, and your pitch. So let's talk about that. You, you go cold into Michael's office and you don't think you have a pitch ready, but you're so passionate about it that you actually have it ready. And, all th the the things throughout this book that parallels to uh, even stand up comedy is you were always ready for 
what happened to you. So when when you got pushed into different positions and other stuff happened that we'll talk about later, you were always ready for it, just like a good comedian. And I thought that was I thought that was very telling there. And I think it's a business. This is a business book about how to survive in business uh, in a way, but it's also how to um, get your creative dream out there and actually see it realized even if you aren't the top dog during the whole thing it, you know this is your dream and you know it's getting pushed and I, I I really respected the fact that you I I mean we're gonna probably go over this but there were some times where you just were not treated fairly and and um, you the tenacity you just kept going I, I, I really appreciated that oh thanks yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, the book is, it really tells the story of somebody who's persevering mm. against all odds. And, you know, I, the subtitle of the book, which is, um, you know, how I started Comedy Central and lost my sense of humor. The reason I subtitled that is because I wanted people to understand how difficult it was from the get-go. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was really hard. I think a lot of people watching Comedy Central today just assumed it was, you know, Showed up fully formed. It was an instant success. Everything was going great. Yeah. First year, you know, we launched. Forget about getting to the launch. Uh -huh. I mean, things were constantly going wrong. And you're right. I wasn't top dog. I wasn't the guy making all the decisions. And I was learning the business at the same time. I was right. learning how to be a programmer. I was learning how to be in the comedy business uh, and improvising a lot. But that first year after we launched, I mean, the first month after we launched, we were savaged by the press. Yeah. I mean, just savage. And part of the reason is because Michael Fuchs was so uh, – he bragged about how great the channel was going to be mm -hmm. in advance of the launch. He threw a big press conference. This thing's going to be bigger. We are going to have the funniest channel ever. We got the best people working on it. HBO knows what – so we launched, and, you know, the first thing the press did was just had a field day jumping on. It's not funny. It's yeah. terrible. It looks like, you know, who would expect the thing to be, you know, fully formed on day one? Yeah. So every day that for pretty much the first year, I went to work thinking we were going to get shut down. Uh -huh. You know, thinking I was going to get the phone call. Okay, all right, it's over. And I just had to try everything to keep it going. You know, uh -huh. it was constantly um, – Mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, you couldn't stop and look at the crowd. You know, yeah. you we're constantly trying to keep this thing going. And I, I, I got through it. You know, I persevered. Uh -huh. I, I, I kept thinking about what can I do today to make things better, to do more of what's going right and less of what's going wrong. Right. And that's what I did. Yeah. One of the really cool things that you got right at the beginning was that tape from uh, MSTK 3000, Mystery Science Theater. And obviously, I mean, because you got that tape, they are what they are now. And uh, a household name. Uh, I mean, they're not even a cult classic anymore. I, they're, yeah. uh, you know, they're the, like the real thing now. They've graduated to yeah. real comedy thing. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's true. It's a great story. I mean, we were, um, this was before the, the channel launched, and we had a head writer named Eddie Gordetsky, and he was a great guy and very yeah. funny. Uh, and he also used to say, What do you know about comedy? Yeah. He said that to me and like every, every time he ran into me, it's like, Thanks, Eddie. Um, anyway, Eddie says, We really need a, that's how we talk, we really need a show that has comedians watching movies, bad movies, and making fun of them. Uh -huh. It's a watch us watch show. And we all said, okay, that's a good idea. And people started working on it and stuff. 
literally a week later, this thing comes in the mail and there's a letter in it and it says, Hey, we hear you're starting a comedy channel. Is this something that might interest you? Mm-hmm. We put it in. It's Mystery Science Theater 3000. It was yeah. just, it was a gift from God. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. It couldn't have come in a better time. And, um, you know, naturally we got on a plane the next day and, and did the deal. Yeah. And uh, they were in Minneapolis just doing this as kind of a lark out of the local television station. Right. Yeah. But I, I will say this. That was the first moment I really knew for sure that uh, the comedy network, whatever it turned into, was going to yeah. be was going to be great. It was going to survive because here was a show that CBS, NBC, ABC, they weren't going to put this on. HBO wouldn't even put this on the air. Mm-hmm. It was a very innovative comedy, and there was only one place for it, and that was us. So, yeah, and it really, it really shows the things that Comedy Central created. You, I mean, uh, so you had that, and early on, uh, Bill Maher with his uh, with pitched his show and got his show going. That made him a household name. And, right. and, uh, what, what are some other things that started at the beginning that just really took off and did well for you? Well, I can't, I can't go much further without mentioning the fact that John Stewart started with us yeah. on day one. He, he was, he was co-host of uh, a show we called short attention span theater. Yeah. And his job was to do, you know, do some funny talking and then, uh, throw to some comedy clips, short form comedy, either mm-hmm. stuff we cut. Co- taken out of movies or television or just, you know, a three stooges short, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, or stand up comedy. And, uh, we showed a lot of stand up comedy too. Um, anyway, he was great from the get go. I mean, it wasn't too hard to realize he was going to be yeah. one of the bigs and he stayed with us for a long time. It's kind of funny, uh, that you mentioned John, because, uh, between Bill and John, I think you probably had the two furthest people from the spectrum of, uh, personality. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, John, the book says it, you know, John, John was mad because uh, you had to fire his co-host and, and he was going to walk. And on, on the other hand, uh, Bill didn't like one of your promos and was trying to get you fired. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, which, it, which I thought was extreme by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, fu- I, I just thought I, I, I First off, I'm glad you didn't talk about a lot of comedians in there because I I really wanted to get into the business part and understand how you got it going. But the stories you did tell, I mean, if you could tell the bus story and then the award story, I just think that is just, that's comedy gold right there. Hey, BTB buddies. I'm excited to have Bragg Apple Cider Vinegar as a sponsor of the show. They've been making ACV, that's what the cool kids call apple cider vinegar, since 1912. I actually have some in my fridge right now, and I make a great tahini dressing with it. You should try it sometime. Anyway, Bragg is jumping right into the 21st century with a bunch of new products. You see, ACV has some amazing health benefits when used regularly, like improved digestion, lowered blood pressure, and healthier skin. And that's just a few. Bragg ACV has made it easier than ever to incorporate apple cider vinegar into your daily routine with perfectly measured prebiotic ACV shots in four delicious flavors, including honey, pineapple cayenne, carrot ginger, and ginger turmeric. 
Bragg ACV also has prebiotic refreshers that consist of ACV and fruit juices, teas, and spices to make a ready-to-drink beverage with the time-tested benefits of ACV. Dig these flavors. Apple cinnamon, Concord grape, hibiscus, ginger lemon honey, honey green tea, lime citrus, and pomegranate cherry. Those all sound great. Bragg didn't stop with the shots and refreshers, though. They also have enhanced ACV for cooking that has new flavors like orange tart cranberry, citrus ginger, cranberry apple, honey cayenne, and honey. I can't wait to try these new flavors on my tahini dressing. All of these Bragg products contain a perfectly measured one tablespoon of ACV, 750 milligram acetic acid, and are USA organic and non-GMO. Go to Bragg.com and use my code BITS15 for 15% off your first order. That's Bragg.com, B-R-A-G-G.com, and code bits 15 B-I-T-S-15 for 15% off your first order. That's a great deal. Okay, yeah, no, I'm happy to tell that story. Um, before I do, though, it's interesting that you mentioned I didn't tell a lot of stories about comedians. I did tell a bunch, but when I started doing the book, I said, well, you know, this could be one of those name dropper books because yeah. how many comedians came by? Right. It's not like I was friends with all of them, but yeah. I saw a zillion of them and we worked with a lot of them. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that because yeah. I, I didn't think that was interesting. I've read books like that. Yeah. Anyway, so Bill Moore, yes. Bill Moore pitched me and my partner at the time, uh, Mitch Semmel, a show called, he called Politically Incorrect. We went to a diner. He said, I want to do a show where people talk, where there's no bullshit, mm-hmm. just real live talk. And I want to go up to the line and I want to cross the line and I'm going to get in trouble uh-huh. and I'm calling it Politically Incorrect. And we said, great, we're buying it right there. And we did. Yeah. We, we said, you're on. So um, Bill came back, took him six months to get the show really kind of cooking. Uh-huh. And, but he did. And it was we realized it was a great show. And by that time, I had um, been taken out of programming and put into marketing. Who knew? Uh, and I had to learn the whole marketing world. But uh-huh. one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to promote Bill's show because it was kind of a flagship show for us. Yeah. And so we did a new campaign a bus side campaign an outdoor campaign was on kiosks and it was in several cities around the country Uh and i i thought it was a good campaign i really liked it i mean it was done by a very very funny agency Uh Corey k and partners and about two days after the the thing started running the phone rang and my my assistant says it's bill moore i said oh really we don't talk that much so (laughs) hey bill what's up and he said Listen, I just saw that campaign of yours, and I just want to say, look, I do my job well, and if I don't do my job well, you'd fire me, right? Now, I think that's a terrible campaign, and I think you didn't do your job very well, and I think you should be fired. So I'm getting you fired. And he said it just like that. Yeah. I'm getting you fired. He says, I've already made a couple of calls, and I will see to it that you are fired. And he hung up. (laughs) <laughs> and that was it. Uh, and <laughs> I immediately thought, okay, what? I, I probably did something wrong here. <laughs> and uh, it's true, I had done something wrong. I had showed the I had showed the campaign in advance to everybody except Bill Moore. Mm-hmm. Now, why do you think I didn't show it to Bill? Because he would have killed it right there. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I could have shown him any campaign and he would have said that sucks. Yeah. Because that was Bill. That was the beauty of Bill. Yeah. Um, so I didn't show it to Bill. So maybe that was a little bit of a mistake. But anyway, he um, he was not happy. So a few months later, I get a call from Alan Kay, the guy at the agency, the president. He says, hey, good news. We got nominated for an award, a really big award in New York. Um, for uh, advertising. I said, oh, really? Which campaign? He said, the Bill Maher campaign. I said, please, no. <laughs> tell me, tell me it's, don't tell me it's the Bill Maher campaign. I, I really don't want He said, yeah. And he said, we're getting a table. You'll be there. It'll be a lot of fun. So then we're going to the campaign and it's like, you know, that day. And he says, Alan Kay calls me. He says, you'll never guess what what's happening. I said, what? He says, guess who's hosting the awards dinner? I said, who? He said, Bill Maher. I said, you have got to be kidding me. So there I am at the table with the rest of the agency and stuff, and Bill Maher is the host of the show. And he's like, okay, and the nominees for best you know, television campaign, and he's going through it. And I am just dreading the moment when he gets to us. So he says, okay, the nominees for best outdoor campaign, and he starts reading down, and he gets to Comedy Central for Bill Maher and – and he reads the name of the campaign and he looks around because, you know, they've had the big campaign behind him. And he goes, yeah. And he says, now that's great advertising. <laughs> so the envelope, please tears it open. Guess who the winner is politically incorrect. Comedy central, Alan Kay, Corey Kay. And, and we won the award. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I just thought if I had made this up and put it into a novel, People would have said, you know, take that out. It's so completely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. From the get go. Yeah, yeah. This is contrived. It was, it yeah. was just it was just <laughs> the craziest story. And Bill never said, I will note, that he never said congratulations. I mean he walked yeah. by our table later, but yeah. didn't bother say congrats. Yeah. So and that's kind kind of the way it goes. So as you, the channel's going, obviously things are starting to cook a little bit, at least in your mind. And then the merger happens. So uh, yeah. let, let's yeah. let's talk about that. Okay, so you know it's we're we're I mentioned that Michael gave a giant press conference before we launched Michael Fuchs. Yeah, before we launched Comedy Channel. The day after the press conference. MTV Networks puts out a press release saying, oh, yeah, and we're launching a comedy network, too, and it's going to be called Ha! The Comedy Network. Uh Now, you see what went on. I mean, they just saw us announce, and so they were going to get in on the game, too. It made me laugh a little bit because, you know, six months earlier, there were no comedy channels in the world, right? And suddenly now there's going to be two. Yeah. The good news is for me, it validated the concept, right? right? I mean, if two people are gonna if two companies are doing it, it must be something there. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I did not need any more headaches and competition was gonna be a headache. Mm-hmm. You know, and these guys were well resourced. They had done a lot of great T V channels, you know. Right. There was no counting them out. But we launched six months later, they launched, and from then on it was head to head with them. We're competing for audience. We're competing for talent. We're competing for uh, programming. We were both bidding on Saturday Night Live reruns. We bid the price of that way up. Yeah. And it was really a fight to the finish. And and the press called it, they were having fun, called it the comedy wars, the mm-hmm. comedy channel wars. And at the end of the at the end of the day, the, the cable operators didn't want two channels. They didn't they weren't even sure they wanted one comedy network. Mm-hmm. So they begged 
us to merge. And in November, end of November, I got a phone call that HBO and MTV networks were merging the channels. Mm -hmm. And I was crestfallen. I was really disappointed because I thought, I thought we had the better channel. I thought we had the better concept. I thought we had, yeah, we did. We had better ratings. We had better everything. I thought thought we were winning Mm -hmm. and I'm sure, and they probably thought they were winning. But the point is it was like, okay, it's a draw. That's it. And secondly, do I have a job anymore? Um, so it was not a great moment. As it turned out, I did have a job. They 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 let a lot of people go on both sides. Mm-hmm. But they said, okay, Art, you're going to get together with the head of programming from the other channel, from Ha, and you guys are going to decide what the programming is and put a new channel together, pick some of the staff, and get a new channel launch, and you're going to have to rename it because we don't want it called either the comedy channel or ha, that would make it look like one of the other one, uh-huh. the, the war. So we did. I, I love the story of the name. And, uh, I think that's great. The one thing that, um, your book contradicted was some of the stories I've heard from some of the originals at the comedy store, because they say that Mitzi fought you guys a lot harder than she did when it turns out she was just like uh you can't use a name and all of a sudden she said ah fuck it you you can use a name i don't care and and but you uh the the story of getting that comedy central name is just gold can you can you talk about that yeah it was it was that that was actually the comedy channel name now that was before we launched comedy channel and we were going to call it the comedy channel because hey what else do you call a comedy channel yeah so we were getting it all together and we had promos done and channel IDs and everything else. And we get this call from Mitzi Shore who owned the comedy store, which was, you know, the comedy club in LA or one of them. And she said, uh, listen, you can't use the name because the comedy channel is something I use for, uh, an in- internal feed of stand-up comedy that we run between shows. Yeah. We call it the comedy channel runs on the TV. And we said, oh, man, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Because we were, like, knee-deep in this thing. So the lawyer said, okay, okay, relax. We'll negotiate this with Mitzi's lawyers. And, yeah, it was – it was. I don't disagree. It was a bit of a fight. It was probably more of a fight than I made it out to be. But what do you want? You want to be on – you want to be in all those meetings with lawyers that would put you to sleep? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it was back and forth a little bit. But at the end of the day, what happened is actually what happened. Yeah. Um, What happened is that we decided that we were going to settle. Michael Fute signed off on a number. I won't tell you. I won't tell you the number because I want there to be something in this book that I don't say. No doubt. (laughs) Yeah. So everybody (laughs) else will read them. At least they'll say, "Well, we got to know how much it was." Yeah. Um, But it was for a lot of money. I thought. Yeah. And we were going to offer that as a settlement to Mitzi to get the name. Uh-huh. And the lawyer said, fine. So on the day we were about to announce it, and this is true, Mitzi called and her lawyers actually called and said, you know, Mitzi decided that life's too short and that you can have the name. Yeah. We're going to drop the suit. <laughs> and that's exactly what they said. Mitzi yeah. said life's too short. Uh-huh. Okay. Now it's interesting that you said, so we got the name. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and until, I wrote the book, I guess. Uh-huh. Mitzi and her people didn't know about the settlement. I don't know if they if they heard that part of the story. Yeah. But I, I will say this. I was on a podcast recently 
that was done by the guy who's currently, I guess, the financial chief financial officer at the comedy store. Okay. And he showed up like a couple of years later, but he had heard the story mm-hmm. and he said, all right, I got to ask you about that story. And so we had the conversation yeah. and he acknowledged, you know, that's probably what happened. Yeah. It's funny. Cause one of my first interviews was with uh, the guy who was a videographer for her comedy channel oh, really? and, yeah. and he was the one that said yeah she fought really hard and and uh we we beat him they had to name it comedy central and i'm like yeah i think it was a comedy channel no, for no, a little no, while no, 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 no. <laughs> you know see that's the beauty of memoir you know i wrote this as a memoir so it's yeah. all from it's all from my memory yeah anything could have been wrong but yeah. so far i haven't i haven't really tripped on anything but let me say this the way we named we we kept comedy channel but the way we named comedy central was also kind of a riot but but no, that was a year and a half later. Yeah. That was a year and a half later. Yeah. I, and I'm not going to make you tell me the story of how Comedy Central came about because they do need to read the book. I want to put that up again real quick just so people get a visual of it because it's it's another one of my favorite parts of the book. And it's just it's marketing extraordinaire from the eyes of somebody who's not a marketer. And yeah. and yeah. and, you know, when you see it. You know it works, and it's it's just so funny that the agency fought you on it, and and I, I just I, I just absolutely I absolutely love that part of the book. So, you know, you're getting things going, and then uh, you kind of get the rug pulled out from under you again when they bring in a new uh, uh, chairman of uh, of the comedy channel and and comedy central at that yeah point. comedy central and that's when you kind of get banished and and things start going downhill for for you but uh during that time you got when when you got to get the website up i thought that was just uh that's magic because it was really three of you guys um putting together the ideas for the website yeah, that was that was kind of like the the barnstorming days of uh, of the, the internet. You know, mm. nobody really knew what to do with it, and I had been banished by the new guy. Which is, you know, listen, you say I wasn't treated fairly. He fired a lot of other people. So from yeah. my point of view, this is yeah. like this is going great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still hanging on. Um, but uh, he said, "Okay, you're in new business development." Of course, nobody was there but me. And then another guy came in, Vinny Favalli, who was similarly banished to New Business Development. Yeah. And they said, um, you know, you're in charge of the website. Now, the website at that time was like a picture of the Comedy Central logo mm. and the schedule. Yeah. And Vinny was the other guy. Vinny and I said, well, that's stupid. I mean, if you're going to have a Comedy Central website, it's got to be funny, right? I mean, yeah. got to have some comedy on it. So we started writing original comedy for it. We hired another guy or he didn't hire him so much as he came to work with us. Yeah. Uh, he was a radio, actually a radio comedy guy named Dave Colon. Mm. And he'd been around uh, and done some television. Very funny guy. Very funny guy. And um, we did some great stuff. We did some really funny yeah. stuff that caught on. Uh, and I remember, you know, the, the new head of comedy coming down and saying, wow, you guys are really doing a great job down here. Like, you know, he was surprised that we were doing anything. <laughs> um, uh, and we said, hey, yeah, thanks. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I was I I was really impressed because a lot of the things that you did were I mean, you're not a comedy writer, you're kind of a comedy appreciator, and yet you were able to to come up with some ideas that were pretty revolutionary. And 
I, you know, I think that is really neat. The book that you did uh, with the websites and, and all that. I mean, that that's just gold. And it's kind of funny that the book came right, right towards the end. And, uh, uh, you, you got good job. You, you got good job on the book, and then things started going downhill from there when you had to report to your nemesis there. <laughs> yeah, the book was kind of like it was one of those things that just grew out of what we were doing. We thought that the internet was so funny in those days, that the web was so funny. There were all mm. these stupid websites about anything you can think of. So we put together the book, fifty websites we'd like to see, um, and they were just you know comedy websites. And the three of us did it. We mm. wrote the whole thing. Um, I, I will say that Vinny Favalli, who's the other guy, he went on to be the head of, um, you know, a big development guy at CBS for mm. a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and we're still friends. And, and, uh, but that might, as far as, you know, writing things and coming up with things, there was another way that we gener- <laughs> that I found was really good at generating ideas. And that was something we called the buzz committee. We put together a bunch of people. Vinny was on it too. A bunch of people from around the the channel who, because everybody at the channel was kind of funny and liked comedy, right? So we put these guys, people, it was women too, in a room uh, once or twice a week. And we try and think up things to do to get us some attention Mm -hmm. because we figured we needed press or we needed a new comedy idea. And it worked great. And one of our big hits was... um, when we decided to cover the state of the union address, the president's yeah. state of the union address live. Yeah. Somebody brought that up in the, you know, we were saying, all right, what's happening around the country these days. And somebody said, well, the president's giving a state of the union address in a, few, in a few weeks. And we said, well, that's pretty boring. What do you expect to do with that? And somebody else said, Hey, we can cover it like MST. You know, we can make jokes about it while it's on. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how that happened. Yeah. And we put it together. Al Franken was the first comedian to do that. Mm-hmm. And I was watching a tape of it the other day. It was brilliant. It, he was so good. Yeah. He was so funny. And it was all improvised. I yeah. mean, it was. he said whatever came into his head. And the next day, the press was had done a complete turnaround from the way they were originally. It's like, yeah. man, these guys at Comedy Central, they are doing something really interesting now. Mm-hmm. And they may be the future of comedy. And that's that was 1992. And I, I thought at that time, okay. Maybe you know we are onto something. Yeah, you know what you what you went through as far as you know you got your position changed a lot. You know you're in programming, you're in marketing, you're in business development, and all that. And uh, I think, like like you, I have a partner that has been there for me the whole time and I can talk to, I just wonder what your conversations were with your wife when you came home after some of these days. I mean, did you have to really unload on her or did you, or did you just say a uh, bad day, honey, and uh, give me a vodka gimlet or something? <laughs> well, you know, I, just to be fair, it wasn't all doom and gloom. I mean, you know, yeah. there were some days like, you know, the, I'd come home and it was like, we had a great idea today or we did something great. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of that. But when things got rough, you're right. My wife, Carrie, uh, she was she was very supportive and she knew how hard it was. Now, I, I will point out something else, too. I mean, I took this whole comedy network thing very personally because I'd, yeah. I'd sort of 
gotten us into this mess, essentially. Right. And I felt responsible for the hundreds of people working there, mm-hmm. certainly from the first, you know, the early days of comedy. But even beyond that, even though at that point it wasn't my responsibility, I mean, it's a going concern. And right. If it went, things went badly, it wasn't going to be all my fault. Mm-hmm. But I still felt, you know, this was my baby. I had started it. I had seen it, you know, grow mm-hmm. up. And so, yeah, so when things went wrong, I probably took them harder than I ever did with any other job. Yeah. And my wife did, you know, she did bear the brunt of that sometimes. But, you know, what are partners for, right? I mean, yeah. They're there for you to, you know, to to be miserable to. And, and the thing is, you had to go, you had to go back to work. I had to go back to work yeah. and be like, hey, you know, although not every day was like that. Right, right. right. But, but um, you know, for the most part, I went to work, you know, I mean, it was going great. We're doing the best we can. Yeah. I, I just appreciate the fact that you stayed so level-headed through it all. And, uh, I, I, the, this book was really inspirational. I didn't know what I was getting into when I read it. Um, but I'm in, you know, I'm a, a business guy first and comedy second, and this is really a good business book about how to persevere and how to take something from nothing and make it into something that's a household word. And you did a very, very good job with that. Oh, thank you. You know, again, it, it, my intention was really just to tell the story and to, to give people an idea from my point of view. Mm. Again, it's all through my eyes. Yeah. Um, what it was like to be in the situation, how business worked. Yeah. Uh, and how the television business works. And I, the, the comments I've gotten from about that, a lot of people have said, man, television business seems brutal. Like all those people getting fired all the time. Mm-hmm. I can't say that wasn't true. Yeah. The television business is brutal. People get fired all the time. Yeah. It's very difficult. Right. Um, and people are not happy about getting fired. It's not like, oh, I just got fired. Big deal. It's the television business. It's very, very heavy when you get fired. Yeah. Because it's it's really somebody saying you're doing, you're not doing a good enough job or whatever right. they're saying. You know, and, and you, you end up taking it personally. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, you know, I've had a number of people say to me, you know, I, I, uh, I want my kids who are in their 20s to read this book because they will see that it's not easy and yeah. that you have to hang in there and that it can be done and that that's the way business works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was very inspiring. Uh, what One of the last questions I want to ask is uh, the, the only thing that uh, you don't mention in the book is the, who did you meet? Uh, through your time there that you were most starstruck by? Starstruck, that's that's kind of an interesting term to use because I'm not necessarily a starstruck type. I mean... I'm not either, but I got one, yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to think. Well, you know, I tell the story about meeting Alan King after all those years. Um. And I guess that maybe that was it. You know, I was dazzled by Alan King. I mm-hmm. mean, by the time he got to our network and was doing a show, he was an older guy. And mm-hmm. as, uh, as Robert Klein said to me at the time, Alan's lost his fastball. But I mean, yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> who among us hasn't at this point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I met Alan King for the first time in the Russian Tea Room. And I had grown up, as I said, I watched the Ed Sullivan show. We circled it. My brothers and I would circle it in the TV guide if Alan King was going to be on. Yeah. Because we just thought he was the funniest guy in the world. Right. And uh, and that was really, um, it was really something to meet him. And 
the other thing about meeting Alan is he was very well versed, obviously, in the history of comedy, and so was I. So we got to talking, and he said at one point, "Wow, you really know your comedy history." Mm. And I said, "Thank you." You know, he said, "He said people working in comedy today don't always know about the comedy history in detail, and they should." Yeah. And and I thought I thought that was really uh, that was really remarkable. Yeah, remarkable thing to say. It's funny when I talk to comedians, especially really young ones. I am always surprised. So there are some that don't know the history. And there are some that know the history better than I do that yeah. have gone back and studied it so much that they're, I mean, it's just ingrained in them and, and they're 20 some years old. I, I, I'm always impressed by the people who uh, do that. And I, I um, had a, met a kid that did, did my talk show and he's, uh, he won the funniest person in Indiana last year and he's, I mean, he looks like he's six and, but before we started the show, we were talking about old comics and stuff like that. And I start Tom Dreesen's my starstruck guy. And, uh, he, uh, he, uh, said, Oh yeah, I know all about Tom Dreesen. I'm like, Oh really? Cool. So yeah. So it's, it's really neat that some of them actually understand the history so, so they can make themselves better. One other thing I wanted to ask about this book, it yeah. reads it reads like a stream of consciousness thing that you just sat down one day and you wrote the whole thing in one day. How long did it take you to write? More than one day. Okay. <laughs> By a lot. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, the story about writing the book is I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write a book mm -hmm. about comedy or anything else. I really, um, I stopped working, you know, I was kind of done with that. Mm -hmm. and I said, okay, what am I going to do? And I always wanted to write. I was a writer at heart, I think. And so I took some classes in memoir writing and I started writing stories about my childhood. Mm. And along the way, I wrote a story about something that happened at Comedy Central. And everybody in my writing group said, wow, we didn't know you worked at Comedy Central. That's cool. Uh -huh. Write something else about that. So I did, you know, and I ended up writing a few stories and I wrote a few more. And then ultimately I thought, hey, maybe I do have a book here. Uh -huh. And then I realized that it was really the greatest adventure of my career that whole comedy thing yeah. from start to finish. And I did, I wanted to make it into a book. Now, a couple of years had gone by, if not three, you know, when uh -huh. I had this big pile of stories. So I started knitting it together and writing a narrative and making sure I had characters who were playing their roles essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and when I finished, I found an editor, an honest to goodness, you know, professional who was working freelance. Mm -hmm. And I, and she, you know, I, had her edit the book. Actually, I met her and I said, you know, she says, well, look, I don't work with anybody, you know. Mm -hmm. right? um, but then she read my thing and she said she, she really liked it. And I was, yeah. I was flabbergasted. Yeah. I had no idea uh -huh. that it was good, even though it works very, very hard. And when, um, and then she gave me about 20 pages of notes on the first day and I rewrote it over the course of maybe three or four months, uh -huh. which surprised her. She said that was very quick. Yeah. But when I say I rewrote it, I had rewritten every part of that book probably five to 10 times at that point. Mm -hmm. So it was, and you hear about that, you know, I remember Stallone saying that he rewrote Rocky 19 times or something before yeah. he actually showed it to anybody. That's, that's the process. You yeah. know, I'm glad it sounded like I sat down and wrote it one day. Yeah. 
It was but helpful it, that I watched it. I watched a couple of your podcast interviews and listened to a couple of them before I started. And uh-huh. so I was, I was hearing it in your voice. So, it, you uh-huh. know, as I was reading, I, I felt like I already knew you and it was, it was start, it, it just made sense to me. So, but it's it just, it has a very good narrative flow. The, the just keeps you going. That's why I stayed up late. It, it, it I just couldn't uh, put it down. Yeah. Yeah. It's a page turner. Yeah. I know that from people. Um, <laughs> And I like that. And I made it that way. You know, I wanted people to push through it, which, as I said, I didn't want to make it a name dropping. Hey, guess who came in yesterday? Yeah. Boring. But I did want to tell the great stories and I wanted to tell my story at the same time. Yeah. Uh, And I think it worked out great. I am interested to hear, by the way, that you it worked better for you after you saw me because I'm I'm doing the audio book. I've made the decision to read it myself. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, so, most most of the biographies and memoirs that I read when the when the author reads them because I do a lot of audible books too. Um, do yeah, and I I really prefer that the author reads as long as they're they're not like don't have a super annoying voice or they don't <laughs> talk. There's one comedy book that, and I won't tell you who it is, but there's one comedy book that I got the audio version of, and the guy talks so slow, I had to I had to crank it up to 1.5 times yeah. in order to uh, be able to stand to listen to it. And then he sounded totally normal at 1.5. It was That's like... so interesting. Yeah. For all you know, for all you know, they cranked it back because somebody thought he was reading too fast. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, you know, or some producer kept saying, "Slow down." Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. He's generally talk pretty fast. Yeah, this. Well, this. I mean, he's he's a veteran. I mean, it's been a long time, and he's been a teacher for a long time. But you know, it was just it. It was like he wanted to make sure. It was like he was reading to like a third grade class almost. The, he wanted to make sure that every word got out and they it was understood and. Still a very riveting book. Glad I got it. When I turned it up to 1.5, I'm glad that option's there. It was great. But uh, to begin with, I was like, I'm never going to get through this. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> well, to have to get the written be- one. I'll try and do better. I'll take that as a note in advance. Don't be too slow. Yeah. And it's funny, uh, you know, just just as a note about au- Audible and audiobooks, I think there's been at least five times that I've gotten the Audible book first, and then I wanted to get the print version because I wanted to go back over things. So you can double dip on that. And I know I'm not the only one that does it. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually excited about the audio book because, you know, I think it's going to be fun to tell the story. Uh, but uh, it hasn't, you know, I'm still working on getting the studio together and everything else should be out by I'm hoping by the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, so where can people find you if they want to see more about the book and see more about what you're working on? Yeah, that would be my website, artbellwriter.com. Okay. Uh, and you'll see more about the book. You'll see more about me. I do an interview with myself. I have, uh, some writing, other writing I've done Mm. and, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on, you know, Instagram, the usual places. Yeah. But the website is really a good place to get to know me a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I like the interview with yourself. That was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I really, really appreciate you being on the show. I mean, you, you, your idea was an institution that has launched so many careers, probably, you know, you guys really became the next Carson 
because of those, you know, those half hour comedy specials and stuff like that, that, you know, that really changed the face of comedy and made people who were just clubbing it, uh, all over the, all over the country into actual stars. And, uh, you know, you know, a lot of them got TV deals out of it and it, it, it's really great that this channel is still churn, churning. Um, I have to say, I'm not a fan of the new logo. I like the old logo, the, the one in between with the city and, and all that that i i don't i mean they could have changed the coloring a little bit the new logo is very uh sterile to me and it just d- doesn't I work thought so too. yeah i thought so too but you know whatever it takes when you're when you're in the seat it's hard let yeah me tell you, yeah when you're, when you're doing a new logo but yeah all right well thanks so much for being on the show art this has been this has been a great talk i appreciate it i i really enjoyed it and it was a pleasure talking to you because you've read the book and and you had an appreciation for the situation and this is the 30th anniversary yeah of comedy central in april 1st it was launched yeah so uh it's, it's kind of a good time special time yeah you did a few interviews where uh the person didn't read the book i know i could tell <laughs> well this was this was a fun one. Yeah. Really, <laughs> Thanks a lot. This, was a win. this is one I'm going to show to other people. Oh, great. Super, super. Well, I'll send you the link when I get the video up, too. Okay. Great. Thanks a lot, Thank Art. Thank you very much. I'm going to yeah, end the care. stream real quick. Hey, thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. You just did my buddy's podcast on Monday, uh, Jeff Dwoskin. Dwoskin, yeah. 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 And he read the book too because he yeah I liked it because he he pegged me because I I always like tease my interviews before I put them up and uh, he said you know Scott I talked to Art too and I said did you read the fucking book <laughs> <laughs> he did he he he's like me he he absolutely has to do his research and he's he's a very good interviewer yeah, good for you that's yeah. the way to go I mean. I find, and I've done a bunch of podcasts lately because of the 30th and everything, that the interview really depends on how good the interviewer is. Not, I, yeah. mean, I'm, I, I am who I am, but yeah. I really think it comes alive with the interview. Yeah, you tell, you tell a good story. And like I said, Dreesen is, my, is kind of my idol, and he had a talk show for a short time. And mm-hmm. I, I think it was local in Chicago – and so what happened is one of his guests, and he told me this story, and that's why I took it to heart. One of his guests had to cancel, and he had an author on instead. This author had done like a 500-page book. He stayed up all night and read that book so that he would be able to talk to the, to the author about the book. And when he told me that, I am like, okay, everybody I have on that has a book, it's going to get read before I talk to him. Well, I think that's a great policy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a big policy to bring upon yourself. Or maybe you just don't have that many authors on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, well, if, if it's a comedian, I listen to their album. If they got an album, if they got, a, right. uh, if they got a Netflix special, I watch it prior to the interview. And if, even if I've seen it, I'll rewatch it so I, I can get ready. But, yeah, I, your book was it, it was it was honestly very eye-opening because I've been in business for a long time, and I know how cutthroat it can be. And I, I just – I, I just loved it, and uh, I was so glad I had it on my Kindle because I can watch it while my wife's asleep and still have the lights off. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is handy dandy. But you know, you can't get them signed. I would sign yours. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know Dude, what? Scott. You know what about Starstruck? I don't care about autographs. I, I, I just, oh, really? I've never. It's never. It been makes a, the book. The book would be worth millions. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> You get a signed version of it. Well, no, no. Thank you very much for reading the book. And tell your friends about it. You know, I'm still 
still promoting the book, trying to get it out there. Yeah. Not, not for, you know, it's not a money thing as much as like, I just want people to read the book. I yeah. It's a great, it's a great yeah. story. And it's a great story yeah. about, you know, the, the birth of a channel and, yeah. you yeah. know, nothing, I, nothing that goes on in TV now is really that new anymore. I mean, it's all just bastardized from stuff that's already been done and and uh so i mean they do some good stuff like i mean when you went to court tv you revamped it and made it a better a better channel and uh people do that but it's all it's already been done just just like comedy it's already been done (laughs) i always say i rode the cable wave yeah i did i just you know it was just coming up and there i was having the time of my life you know yeah. with comedy and with court and then it kind of broke on the beach yep um, yeah so it's not the same anymore yeah it's yeah yeah it's different well thanks a lot art great All to right. meet you great meeting yeah. you. yeah have a good one you too bye-bye Bye.